Chelsea Bay. And I'm Shay. Together, we are Fulfillment. Fulfillment is a storytelling event featuring local community leaders and entrepreneurs who share their personal journey towards fulfillment through vocation that will challenge you to come alive. The following stories are true, and no one's identity has been protected. Here's Fulfillment Stories podcast number 41. Jackie Cashel is the founder and executive director of Peace Ranch, serving horses and humans suffering the effects of abuse, neglect, conflict, grief, and pain. She has led the way pioneering equine-assisted mental health and education services in northern Michigan. She is uniquely suited to this endeavor with her combined personal experience, solid multidisciplinary experience in counseling, and excellent horsemanship skills. Here's Jackie's story from the September 2017 event. Wow, this is bright, isn't it? Let me just see if I can see my notes. I know it's my life. What do I need notes for, right? So I am Jackie, and I did found Peace Ranch, and it's a little bit of a crazy story, um, but it's mine, so here it is. There's all kinds of things that start out in life in a way that no way resembles what they're gonna turn out to be. Like caterpillars, right? Or pollywogs, do you call them that? Tadpoles, I know we call them pollywogs, right? So caterpillars become butterflies and pollywogs become frogs. And I think for me, probably my greatest passion is being able to be present for the metamorphosis in lives and watching them become who they were intended to be. So I was born in 1960 and I spent my first few months in an orphanage it's crazy how the things that you can't remember really impact your life. I grew up an only child of parents who I think struggled the entire time that they were married. I always felt a little odd, like I didn't quite fit in, and I still kind of feel that way. And preparing for this talk has really been difficult because it's made me think about things that for the most part I would rather not think about. Uh, growing up in Connecticut, I spent a lot of time in my own world. Uh, I had an Amer imaginary friend named Chadi McCadillon. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and uh, we loved meandering. We picked flowers and caught bugs, and we liked to sing songs and recite poetry. Right? Um, and I've always had an intrinsic love for animals, like all animals, but especially horses, which is really strange because neither of my parents liked animals at all. My mom was a fearful type, and, and we were always trying to be quiet so we didn't disturb my dad. 
One thing I remember, and, and I, I really don't have a lot of memories from childhood, but one I remember was sobbing after a movie that we went to see, and it was called Run Wild, Run Free. And so what's really weird is um, I remember the tears and being very overwhelmed, and I think my mom was a little embarrassed that I was sobbing in the movie theater. Uh, but I couldn't remember anything. I mean, I, I didn't know anything about the story or anything like that. It's kind of crazy how the things that you don't remember impact your life. Um, I decided to look it up in preparation, and actually my husband and I watched the movie together. So it, the movie came out in 1969, so I was eight. And the story is about a mute 10-year-old boy who was the only child of parents... Uh, who were really struggling together. And they couldn't understand his passion for animals and being outdoors. And he meets this kindly colonel who really understands him and his connection to nature. And he meets a wild, blue-eyed colt. And the child forms a deep bond to the animal. And he's completely transformed. He starts talking, and it's, it was an amazing story. I couldn't believe it. I cried in the same places that I probably did when I was eight. Um, it was very strange. I, and I didn't, as I watched the movie, I had no memory of the movie, but I just had this familiar feeling. And there was this one scene where they were lost on the moors, and there was, you know, this, um, this uh, demon mist, and there was this, <coughs> these horns that they were blowing. And I, could re I remembered it in my body. Um, it was bizarre. Well, so thank you for the opportunity to revisit that. <laughs> so when I was 10, after years of tension and unfaithfulness, my Catholic parents divorced. That went over not that well in our Catholic community. Uh, we were just nominal Catholics, not, you know, devout Catholics. Uh, just want to say that. Dad moved out and Mom went to work, and there weren't any support programs for kids like me. Eventually, I think they started calling us latchkeys, but that was years later after I'd gotten much older. And so in those days, you just stayed home and you fended for yourself. Uh, it wasn't all bad. Mom boasts that I could cook a four-course meal by the time when I, when I, that I was 11, and I always chide back, well, it was, you know, cook, learn how to cook or starve. And uh, I watched the Waltons and the Brady Bunch, and we got a German Shepherd, and we rescued cats, and I got to take lessons on the neighborhood horse, and uh, on a neighbor's horse, not the neighborhood horse. <laughs> and <laughs> a horse in a neighborhood. <laughs> I loved being with the horse, though. I mean, it's, it's something that I remember quite well, and uh, it was one of the highlights of my childhood. But, but truth be told, the divorce punctuated the abandonment that was already deeply lodged in me. And without supervision and the safety of a stable home, and with mom and dad trying to chart their uncharted territory and starve for attention, I was a sitting duck for all kinds of predatory individuals, including neighbors and teachers and even healthcare providers. My dad remarried when I was 12 and mom when I was 14, and I never really joined those families. I, I don't, I'm not sure that it was really their fault. I just didn't really feel like I fit in. 
I just fully embraced. I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> uh, that I was defective. I was broken, and I felt responsible for everything that had happened. Somewhere along the way, I just hardened, and I developed a do unto others before they do unto you kind of attitude, and that's how I lived. Drinking, drugs, arrests, and chaos filled my teen years. I did manage to graduate from high school. <laughs> uh, but by the time I was 18, I'd been shot at, beaten, kidnapped, I had had two abortions, and I was really heavy into heroin and IV drugs. I tried rehab uh, when I left the first time, I think when I was uh, 19 years old, and um, a lot of times, I went to rehab a lot of times. Uh, I spent some time in a psych hospital, nothing helped, nothing stuck, nowhere felt safe, and I never had peace. By 1983, at the ripe old age of 21, I knew I was dying. The party had ended for me long ago. And I had to keep on running, but I felt like I couldn't take one more step. During a hospital stay, I was visited by a pastor who told me that Jesus wanted to change my life. And all I needed to do was give it to him, and uh, he would change it. And uh, I... I gave my life to Jesus, but I just told him, square, it's all up to you. Uh, you know, I got nothing left, so if there's anything left that you can salvage, go for it. The idealistic kid that had the imaginary friend was dead, and my heart deeply resonated with words of Kathy's song written by Simon and Garfunkel. I'm smiling on the outside, but I'm dying on the inside here. And the song I was writing is left undone. I don't know why I spend my time writing songs I can't believe with words that tear and strain to rhyme. And so you have seen, I have come to doubt all that I once held is true. I stand alone without beliefs. The only truth I know is you. The thing is, there was no you. I knew no truth. I expected nothing, and things got worse. I was pregnant again. I kept using. I got arrested for selling guns. I kept using. I smoked three packs of cools a day, and my daily drug ha habit was 200 bucks. I was bound for a long stay at Niantic State Prison for Women. I had a record a mile long. And somehow, and I'm not really sure how this happened, otherwise I would have included it in this story, but somehow I ended up on the road to New Hampshire to a Christian rehab that was on a farm. And, you know, I mean, truthfully, Niantic State Prison for Women farm program, right? Give me the farm program. So I, I got there at 10 o'clock at night, and I put my last cigarette out in the driveway, and... Uh, there wasn't any detox, and so I knew what was coming. I was three months along in my pregnancy. 
Um, but what was ahead was a long sleepless nights for a really long time and vomiting and pain and my mind and my body wrestling through withdrawal. And so they showed me into this little cabin and there were three other people in that cabin. There were two bunk beds and the bottom bunk was left and that was the one that I took. And uh, there wasn't anybody talking because everybody was in bed. So it was just like, you know, climb into the bunk. And, and so I did. And I laid on the bed, just scared out of my mind. And I closed my eyes. Now, I laid down hopelessly addicted and ready to die. And I woke up. And I was clean. Now... I knew that I something had happened because I had slept the whole night through. And I can't explain what happened. All I know is that this is what's true for me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. My life was transformed. I can't explain it. I can tell you that there's, it was a miracle and that, wow, three minutes. That went, I got to really go fast. So that's a real story. It really was a miracle. That was 30-some-odd years ago. I haven't smoked or done drugs. So... <laughs> All right, so now we're going to have to go really fast. So my life totally changed. I had a beautiful, healthy daughter. I met and married my husband. We had a beautiful son. A few years later, I got pregnant again. And uh, that son, uh, that pregnancy ended in the birth of our second son, who only lived three days. And uh, after that, I needed to have a hysterectomy so I couldn't have any more kids. And a few years later, we were kind of, I started getting this kind of sense that, like, maybe our family was not complete and, like, we should adopt kids. And uh, I didn't want to. It, it sounded like a lot of work, and I was happy. And But the, it just, you know, I felt like God kept saying to me, you know, open the home. And so I finally told Paul, and he said he had had the same, same idea. And so we did. And... Um, we ended up in 1995 having three beautiful little girls who had been, who just had suffered tragically. Um, and uh, those girls came into our lives and like a lot of people that um, have children come into their home that they didn't birth, uh, you just think it's, it's all gonna go, you're gonna love them and everything's gonna change. And uh, both Paul and I have background in mental health, um, we're both we have backgrounds in mental health. <laughs> uh, no, we both have degrees in that, but nothing prepared us for the way that our girls struggled. And after a few years, we sought help. And um, we just were told flat out, there isn't anything. There's nothing that's going to help. There's no medication. There's no therapy. There's not nothing. Ain't nothing for these kids. And that just was unacceptable. It was absolutely unacceptable. So Paul and I sold everything we had, and we bought some property in Hoosier Valley to build a family farm. And we thought that maybe the rhythm of life 
would help them to find peace, like the rhythm of life on the farm had helped me find peace. And uh, so we moved out there, and we got horses, and it was amazing what we learned together from the horses. We learned self-management. We learned all kinds of things about uh, relationship. And so that's really how Peace Ranch happened. We, we moved out there to create something, a healing environment for our children. And out of that, uh, we now work with children in foster care and children who have been adopted. We work with veterans who have combat trauma and uh, who've suffered other kinds of military trauma. We work a lot with peop traumatized people, and an interesting thing is that um, the horses that minister to those people are, pe are horses that have trauma as well. And so it's like a parallel process of healing. And it's amazing, and it is. it sounds crazy, but it works, and it works fast, and it gets to those deep places in a way that isn't re-traumatizing, but it's life-giving. Now, um, i got to find the last page here. Hold on. Oh, heavens to Murgatroyd, right? I'm like going backwards in time here. Is that it? Okay, well, none of that's going to help. So I guess my challenge is this, and... I'm going to have to give the challenge. Is that okay? I cried. I mean, that doesn't count, right? <laughs> okay. Um, you know, all, all we've got is who we are, right? You know, not just the shiny, presentable parts, but the dark, the dirty, the broken pieces, the bright, the lively, the wonderful pieces, those all weave together into cr creating a beautiful tapestry of experiences that each one of us represents. I believe each one of us was created with intention and regardless of the circumstances that we've encountered, that intention will prevail. So here's my challenge. Be who God intended you to be because the world needs you.